This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Dr. George from Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps, a chronic sinus infection, or allergies that are either undertreated or have never been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we use state-of-the-art equipment so you can see the problem. You'll be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment because we believe in old-fashioned medicine where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. We specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery, correction of a nasal septal deviation, and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office, getting you back to work the next day. And you can rest assured that all options will be discussed before surgery is recommended because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. If you'd like to make an appointment, call 404-591-9100 or reach us on the web at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today the business at hand is the business of practicing law and what goes into creating a law practice. Today we, we find that lots of attorneys focus in one or two areas of, of legal practice or work for a larger company and are part of an in-house legal uh, counsel team. But there are some attorneys who manage to juggle, if you will, and, and very adroitly a, a few different areas. My guest today, Stan Lefko, is an attorney that is an Atlanta-based attorney that works in areas ranging from child support and custody, commercial litigation, construction litigation, uh, divorce, fraud, uh, landlord-tenant, um, law, uh, libel, uh, personal injury, property damage, real estate, real estate litigation, slander torts, and trusts and wills. And so... With all those different areas, we're going to try to touch on a few of them. And I'll start by welcoming you to the program. Welcome, Stan. Good morning. Now, Stan, one area that a lot of people don't quite understand is the area of uh, litigation and the process, the litigation process. So I think that might be an interesting area to start with. Um, let's let's demystify uh, some of what uh, a lot of people don't understand uh, takes time. So let's let's just start there. Tell us a little bit about the the beginning and everything, um, at least as a broad overview, everything that goes into the litigation process. Uh, clients uh, do not realize how long it takes typically to get a case before a judge. They do not realize that at least in the metropolitan Atlanta area uh, a, a judge may have on his or her calendar as many as 500 cases. So when a when a case is 
filed, a judge does not, not even aware of it for, could be as long as six months before that case even appears on, on a judge's calendar for him or her to even look at. So, of course, you don't even want to get involved in a lawsuit if it can be avoided just because of the how expensive it is to file a lawsuit these days, the time that goes into it. And Stan, what's the judge looking for when he's initially sees um, a suit that's been filed? Uh, is he looking to see how much time uh, he or she thinks it might take and, and, and scheduling it on that basis? Not, not necessarily. So what happens is um, after you try to resolve a dispute and you can't get it resolved and the only alternative is to file a legal action and you you prepare the suit and you file it and and court costs have gone up significantly over the years it it now cost in a state or superior court around $250 to file the action so you file the action the complaint or the petition whatever it may be and then the case gets docketed and it gets a case number and then for the next six months that well first of all the suit gets filed and then it gets served on the opposing party or parties the defendant or defendants the defendant or defendants have a month after they are served to file an answer the answer could include a counterclaim if they if if they think that they have been wronged in some way they could counterclaim against you then once they filed an answer for the next 6 months there's a period known as discovery and during that time the parties serve one another with written questions known as interrogatories or notices to produce documents if those are not satisfactory there may be depositions where the parties sit in the respective offices of opposing counsel depositions can get very expensive you have to pay a court reporter they can run as much as 500 to a thousand dollars just for the court reporters expense and then you've got to pay the attorneys and then after about six months if motions may be filed if one side or the other believes they've proved their case and don't want to have go to a trial and but then after six months the case then will pop up on a judge's calendar and the judge's staff attorney or the calendar clerk will look at the case and see if it's ready to be tried that may be the first time the judge is even aware that you exist Okay, I was asking really whether or not they were looking at it on the basis of uh, sort of how much time they thought that was needed to be allocated, and can you explain that in the process of discovery, um, there is uh, a distinct possibility that something can be resolved. Is is the the judge looking at uh, the case uh, and and what has transpired uh, on the basis of whether or not it has been adequately um, uh, 
there's been an, an adequate attempt to to resolve before. No, is that, not necessarily. Anything to do with it? Not at all. He or he or she, and I'll just say just for he. Let's just say for this discussion, he they will just look at it, or he will just look at it uh, to see where it's where where it stands, and they they may call in the attorneys for a status conference to see if the case is ready to be tried or if there are any issues outstanding they may require the attorneys to submit pre-trial orders to outline what the case is all about or to see if the case is near resolution or they may which many judges are doing now if not if not most or all are sending the cases to mediation to see if they can't resolve and avoid trial, which in many cases are being resolved in mediation, which can save clients a lot of money if a case can be settled in mediation with a neutral, which most neutrals are attorneys who will sit and listen to both sides present their cases. If that doesn't settle the case, then the case will eventually appear on a trial calendar which could take another um, three, four, or five months. So it could be as much as a year between the time the suit is actually filed and the time it eventually appears on a trial calendar. And that's just uh, leading up to um, the actual um, trial. It's, it's, it's preparation that uh, leads to... Um, the actual uh, in court uh, in front of the judge um, case to be made um, that most people are familiar with. Um, these days on, on on TV, people see a little bit of the behind the scenes uh, investigation and and discovery that's being performed. But most people are much more familiar. It's much more dramatic. It seems um, to to see uh, a case being tried uh, in court. What what about the those costs? And are are those um, just all across the board? From potentially a case might last a, a day or two, um, but if it stretches out, I mean, uh, literally the meter's running. Um, what about the court itself? Um, th- does it does it matter in the scheme of things uh, if you're taking up the time of the larger court system? for weeks or months versus just a couple of days. I mean, I can imagine that the attorney's fees would be going up um, uh, day by day um, and the, the entire legal team, but but for the court system, are there are, does a municipal superior uh, court uh, or one of the circuit courts um, actually uh, charge more if you're taking up more time? No, the, the courts don't charge you anything except for the initial filing I mean or other than the in, the initial court cost the courts don't do not charge you any any additional fees unless you a case goes up on appeal and then you have appellate cost if if you lose a case and you decide you want to appeal to a higher court such as the Supreme Court of Georgia or the Court of Appeals what does that cost? It depends on the length of the transcript, which is 
the actual trial itself and and how much the pleadings were in the lower court so if you have a if there was an extensive file built up if there were depositions and there were doc a lot of documents and of a lot of exhibits and all those documents have to be prepared by the clerk the appellate clerk in the lower court and they charge for every page and every deposition and that can run into thousands of dollars just to prepare those documents to be sent up to the Supreme Court of the Court of Appeals. So that's where... And so that can run into a lot of money. And then a brief has to be prepared by the attorneys, and that can run into a lot of money preparing those briefs. Legal fees can really get pretty high on preparing an appellate brief. And then once the case gets docketed in the appellate court, it could be months before there's an appellate decision, so it could be another year before there are time limits, but it could run another year before your case, before you even have a decision. Stan, we're... um we're going to take a break. Okay. Uh, when we come back, I, I, I will ask you um, uh, another case, another question, rather, related to uh, the appellate court. But then I, I, I definitely want to touch on a lot of these other areas. Uh, one of the areas in the next segment I want to talk about is, is, is divorce. We're here with attorney Stan Lefko, and we're talking about uh, his practice and the practice of law. We'll be back with Stan right after this break. This is Dr. George from Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because I believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individualized. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing or your child has frequent throat infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual, not an ailment. During your visit, you'll not be rushed, and all of your questions will be answered. And when possible, I will recommend natural treatments to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. If you'd like to make an appointment, call 404-591-9100 or reach us on the web at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, Or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're talking to Stan Lefko, an attorney who is in private practice, and we've been talking about um, the, the 
litigation process, and 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 we've been talking about some of the expenses associated with the litigation process, and um, we then discussed the appellate uh, uh, process, the, uh, the the court of appeals, and and. This is the area where the uh, the public jurisprudence systems meter uh, starts to run, and it, where it can get very expensive. And and in fact, I was uh, asking Stan off the air if uh, the 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 client or the attorney becomes liable for the uh, invoice that is issued by the appellate court. And uh, of course, ultimately, the client would be responsible uh, to pay for uh, the appellate court's cost, but. Uh, it would seem to me that when an attorney uh, is 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 involved and can become um, uh, responsible for payment uh, to the appellate court, uh, even if indirectly, but in this case, it, 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 I would imagine some of those uh, um, uh, invoices are issued directly to a uh, an attorney. It's yet another mechanism to uh, help a client resolve outside of the appellate court process just as the preparation for litigation uh, um, with uh, attorneys working together and with a judge making a judgment about whether or not it actually can go to trial or whether it is directed toward uh, mediation. Um, These are mechanisms to actually help uh, a a client avoid... uh, uh, additional uh, costs. If you, if you know, I mean, to, to to come to some resolution, a lot of people don't realize that uh, that there are those mechanisms that are designed to have um, uh, a, a client, someone filing a claim, someone uh, making a lawsuit, uh, putting them in a position to work with their attorney and in turn work with the attorney of of the opposed uh, to to come to some resolution. And uh, so, Stan, how often have you found out of ten possible uh, scenarios where there could be a lawsuit, how many of them are resolved before they become a trial case? Before they even go become a lawsuit at mm-hmm. all? You you always try to resolve a case and avoid um, um, a, a filing a lawsuit. Is Just it more than half? Oh, oh like yeah. nine out of ten, maybe. Oh, I. Uh, I, I can give you an example now. I've got a, a client who has a, uh, a, t- a a tenant who had some water issues in <clears throat> in the house. He wanted to file a dispossessory, and she hired a lawyer, and she offered to pay a percent of the rent because she was claiming the property was partially uninhabitable. And he wanted to go after her for the full amount of the rent. And I told him, it is less expensive to accept partial rent than to file a dispossessory knowing that this lawyer she retained would countersue him for uh, uh, uninhabitable conditions. And I told him he was just going to cost him a lot of money if he had to hire a lawyer. I said, just accept partial rent, take the money, and avoid a lawsuit um, because it just wasn't worth it. Not only just the legal fees, the court costs, which would be relatively small in magistrate court, but his time was worth more money than to spend a half a day or a day in court. 
it just wasn't worth it. Is it the case, then, which it seems to be in, in many situations where uh, even when you have uh, a quote-unquote good case or think that you do, that it's really to your advantage to, to simply avoid um, a, a trial because, uh, at best, um, it could get you could win the case uh, and and maybe recoup any costs associated with with the trial, but that it could get so expensive that it's it's really not it's just not worth it and and that that's something that you have to discuss with your client. Um, I, I guess on an ongoing basis, maybe very often. Is that is that is that true? It is true. Um, we I had another one recently. We we thought we had a good case, and just because of the economics and the cost of con- – and we were in litigation. Uh, it was better just to resolve it than to continue with the litigation. It was just too expensive to sp- uh, spend all that time and continue fighting it in court. It was better just to resolve it and pay. So against this backdrop of a long, drawn-out litigation process – and the costs associated with it, because it's both. It's long, it's drawn out, it's stressful, and there's a, a, a monetary uh, factor as well. Let's let's turn to an area um, like like divorce, and uh, that has to be one of those areas where, uh, in in some cases, uh, one party or the other really believes that. Um, they want to sue someone, uh, file for divorce, and maybe even uh, um, uh, collect the equivalent of uh, alimony, palimony, uh, child support. Uh, you know, you 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 hear about um, uh, parties that want to, so to speak, take the other to the cleaners. That would be a prime example of where you're put in a position of explaining to um, one party that is uh, maybe angry with the other party that it's it's not going to be wise to uh, to uh, uh, take it to a stage where it is a uh, um, uh, a trial case and where it it needs to be resolved. Does that come up? Uh, as often as we just talked about, you know, nine out of ten times you're talking someone out of an actual trial case related to a divorce and that it needs to arrive at some settlement uh, long before it gets to that stage? Yeah. I do some domestic cases, and I've, I've read statistics that I've, I think 95% plus divorce cases never go to trial. I think only when there are very significant assets involved and they can't and property, whatever. I think only those cases may go to trial if they can't resolve them. And all those cases, I think, get at least in the way Fulton County operates, all all those cases get sent to mediation. Fulton County has a 30, 60, 90 conference uh, policy where they try to resolve all those cases. Before you even get to the the trial stage, but bring it to resolution in thirty days. If that doesn't work, try right. bring it to get to resolution in sixty days, or and then ninety. They have days. a ninety day, and then if it still is not resolved at that stage, you may go to. Then they could send it 
even the media. I think probably maybe even mediation after that, possibly. But you have these even before an answer is filed by the opposing side, you have a thirty-day conference. But um, some there are sometimes there's um, um, a heated uh, dispute. But then when costs start building up because there's initial arguments about support or custody or visitation or certain property but then when the fees start adding up reasonableness starts coming into play and coolness starts prevailing and they realize at least particularly in the case of the husband or heatedness starts to prevail i guess is what happens right they start real the husband particularly realizes it's better to try to resolve this oh you're saying the coolness comes into play and right they become more reasonable yeah they become more reasonable and uh, at least i find more so on the case of the husband slash father and it's better to resolve it because it just isn't worth it many times husbands will start claiming they want custody when they're really not in the position to really be the custodial physical custodial uh, parent because of their situation their work all day and they're not really in a position to to be the uh, custodial parent and even in the cases of where women are working all day is it is it also true stand that that and we're just talking about what's out there in the real world um, um, a lot of women end up being the hands-on caregivers to kids and that that um, puts them in a situation where they can make a better case for being uh, the primary caregiver that deserves to have either complete custody or at least uh, um, be put in the driver's seat, so to speak, when it comes to custody because the husband at uh, most should be entitled to, to, to visitation rights or something, but something on a more limited basis. Women are in a better position to be the hands-on um, custodial parent. And in the end, the f- husbands don't really want to be the custodial parent. They say they do initially. I find that many times. But in the final analysis, they really don't want to be the custodial parent. You you even I- I implied uh, in, a, in a discussion before today that in many cases uh, some husbands will, will, will actually uh, create um, what, it, what would be a facade of, of, of uh, desire uh, and caring and capability to be uh, uh, more of a custodian when in fact they're, they're just using that. It's a smoke screen. I've had Husbands use that to scare their wives or scare scare their spouses, and then as the um, litigation progresses, they change their positions, and then divorce really becomes an economic issue, and custodial issues become somewhat secondary and it's just a matter of working out schedules and times and days and holidays and who's going to get the children when and where and that's not the that becomes important but not as important as working out issues about the marital residence and certain debts and if there are tax obligations and 
those become more the focus than the kids. visitation. Well, they're important. Right, and, right, right. But it no longer becomes contested the way that it was. No, it's it's just become just some technical issues. We're um, we're going to take a break again, um, Stan, and and um, when we come back, we'll, I, I do want to ask you just a couple more questions about this area of of divorce, and then I want to get into uh, a number of areas uh, r- ranging from uh, personal accident and injury to uh, uh, real estate and um, wills and trusts. So we'll be back with Stan Lefko. Uh, we're talking about his. A personal practice, and we'll also talk about what went into the creation of the practice right after this break. Hi, I'm Ray Bowman, hoping you'll join us each Friday at noon for our new show, Food and Farm, brought to you by FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, only on America's Web Radio. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Stan Lefko, an attorney with a private practice that handles uh, a few different kinds of uh, cases and, and practices, law, uh, in, in a few different areas. And before the break, we were talking about the area of divorce and um one of the the questions that I uh, I wanted to ask Stan was um, I once heard that uh, that in many court cases, particularly uh, divorce, uh, and even before they went to uh, to trial, that when there was a settlement, that it was just very common uh, that 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 what was considered to be equitable had both parties. Uh, Coming away, uh, not very happy. Uh, that 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 if one party is very happy, there's a good chance it wasn't equitable, uh, and that so seldom are both parties, quote unquote, happy. And so that meant that a lot of people typically both came away feeling like it wasn't quite fair, and and that 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 
it was probably more equitable uh, with that being the case. Is that sort of your impression as well? Actually, that's what I tell a client and probably other lawyers as well, that if neither party is totally happy with the settlement, it probably was a good settlement because you, uh, in a settlement you, you there has to be compromise. So you're giving up something to get something. So if if both parties are well, you can't have both parties totally happy because that probably yeah. My guess is, not is the that case. that almost never happens. You know, I mean, it could, but um, but uh, uh, because you do hear occasionally of some couples that came to some resolution after thinking they needed to uh, uh, even even take it to trial in the process, the reasonableness factor that you talked about and cooler heads prevailing. Um, in time, uh, both parties realized, hey, w- we can come to an amicable solution, but that, uh, and they become friends, because you do hear of that, but, uh, but that would seem to me to be that uh, 2 or 3% uh, at the most. I, I was working on a settlement yesterday, actually, and I represent the husband and recognizing his situation she had to make certain compromises to get what she wanted and he recognized her situation so he had to make certain compromises to get what he wanted so i know he wasn't 100 percent happy with the things he had to compromise on to get what he wanted and vice versa so i know I know he's not a hundred percent pleased, but he's he's okay with it, and I'm. I think she's okay with it, but they're not. Um, they're not both ecstatic or totally delighted with the resolution, but I think they're okay, and so I think that's as much as you can hope for. So they're gonna. He may come in and sign it today, and he'll. He's okay. I think that's as much as. I can hope for as much as he can hope for, and as much as I can hope for for him, is that he is okay with it. And I yeah, my guess is that, that that you spend a lot of time, as do a number of other attorneys, trying to get their uh, clients to be uh, reasonable and compromising. And and along those lines, um, can um, both parties uh, or or even one side? Uh, request mediation early in the process, just seeing that something uh, wasn't going to be able to be worked out uh, and that uh, mediation could help. Can you request that early in the process? You can request it, but if the other side doesn't want to go to mediation, you doesn't mean you're going to get mediation, but you can then go to the... which, Which happened to me is they can go to the judge and ask the judge to order mediation, which the judge may well do. I think that happened to me recently, and I was okay with that because a lot of times mediation will result in resolution. It may not happen at the mediation, but it may happen after the mediation. So you'll go to a mediation, you'll spend a half a day or a day, and at the end of the day or half a day, the case may not get resolved, but days or weeks thereafter, because of what happened at the mediation, the case may get settled. 
and resolved. Who gets assigned as a mediator? How do, can can you be a mediator? Um, is that is that? Uh, I could, but I've I've never been one. But I, yeah, I could be a mediator. And is is it is it? Does the court system ask come to you and say, "Would you act in this role?" Is that what happens? No, there are there are mediation services. There are individuals who are mediators. There are three or four. Uh, uh, companies in town or firms, whatever you want to call them, that um, provide mediation services. Fulton County has a uh, the neighborhood justice center that serves as that does mediation. They, there's actually in the courthouse in Fulton County that does there's mediation. Media, there's mediation right in the courthouse. And you mentioned earlier that they're typically attorneys, but are there times when they aren't attorneys? Yes. And what kinds of individuals? They've had training in mediation. They've had training in mediation. Right, they've they're had professional mediators. Right. Yes, I've I've done mediation, and I recognize these people, and they'll say to me, didn't we mediate something for you last year or the year before? And I've gone before mediators that have mediated other cases for me. And your general impression is that uh, mediation can be very effective? It can. Uh, I like mediators who will not just be messengers, who will actually uh, push the parties that just don't go back and forth, that will actually in, be a little aggressive. I, I think one of the best mediators I had was a actually a senior judge who was who was – I had a client who was just not going to settle, and she got an incredible deal on a piece of property – and we had a, a senior judge, I think, who was determined to resolve this case, and she did. She she got my client to accept a very good offer. So this is someone who was in the position of being a judge, but for the purposes of this uh, case, they were acting in the role of a mediator? She – I forgot how she got appointed the mediator. She got appointed the mediator in this case. She was a re- retired senior judge. And my client, her sons could not convince her to accept a, a really good offer on a, a really messy real estate dispute. And the senior judge came in and just just was determined to resolve this case. So it was very assertive in the process and she, actively uh, implored uh, the parties to come to resolution. Oh, she did. One party in particular? Yeah, my client. Yeah. And got it settled, and my client did really did well and on the we, resolution. Do mediators often ha- uh, times have um, a um, an expertise in a given area? Um, mediators which focus on uh, child support and custody, for example. There, there are mediators who have who have um, if they've been if they are attorneys, they may have specialized in certain areas of the law they may for example have done construction law or personal injury or contracts or yeah, they may have expertise in certain areas of the law insurance law they may have had a background so yeah sometimes they have some they're very knowledgeable yeah you had mentioned uh, that um, um, there was this category uh, that is is called breach of a marriage contract. Can you explain um, what that is? Well, yes, there was. I've never had a case, but I read a case which was very amusing, uh, where a 
a, a woman had incurred some expense and she sued her fiance because he breached a what she claimed was a marriage promise and I wrote about it and so there is a you can sue someone for breaching a marriage promise now and would that be based upon uh, the promises made when you take your vow your vows no they hadn't they hadn't gotten they hadn't gotten that far but the court held that there was a there is such a contract a breach of a marriage vow and they hadn't, they hadn't gotten they hadn't gotten married yet but she had just incurred expenses in reliance on his promise to marry her and it was just an interesting case i haven't you know, so this see- was actually a, a breach of a understood contract to to get married right not even uh, 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 a married couple I think I think in that case they may they may have she may have they may have even constructed a house built a house and she had incurred damages but in any event he she sued him and he claimed um, he made even some claims I think about you it was a meretricious relationship and that was unlawful so, and you can't so there were some you can't oh yeah you can't or defenses and you can't sue for that and the court said, no, yeah, she's got a claim, and she did recover a few thousand dollars against him, and I thought it was an interesting case, and got written up, and was an appellate case, and I wrote about it, and so I, just just an interesting case. In fact, um, you um, had mentioned to me previously that uh, when it comes to uh, uh, investing, in property as a couple uh, that's not married that it's something that probably should be avoided and 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 and, and it would be because it it could get uh, uh, to be a very awkward situation uh, where you have the division of property among an unmarried uh, couple and it could be just roommates deciding they are going to uh, invest in a uh, uh, a property but but I, if I'm not mistaken, because it was a conversation you, you and I had some time back, I think you said, "Don't do it. Don't uh, don't invest in, in property with a friend uh, uh, or uh, a um, a partner that is not your your married partner." Absolutely, do not purchase property with a friend, if whether it's a romantic relationship or whatever. Do not buy property together with the one caveat being if you're going to do something that foolish, you need a very detailed agreement as to what is going to happen if the relationship dissolves. How are you going to handle the uh, the, the division the, of property? The, what's going to happen with the property how is it going to be divided how is it going to be sold how is it going to be disposed of what are you going to do with the property it needs to be very you've got to have very detailed in in writing a very detailed agreement i handled a very messy lawsuit over a year ago 
uh, between a couple that bought a house and broke up and that house was an albatross because they couldn't decide how to get rid of the house we're going to take a break stan but when we come back um i, I have another just a, an, another question or two uh related to this area of divorce and uh, uh settlement uh when it comes to real estate uh, and then we'll move on. We're here with Stan Lefko, uh, an attorney that is based here in Atlanta uh, that has a practice, and, and, and uh, Stan focuses on a few different areas that we've been uh, discussing. We'll be back with Stan right after this break. This is Denise Simon. 18 hours a day, I live in a world as an intelligence analyst. What I find is reprehensible, what I find is terrifying, what I find is treasonous. The mainstream media has completely failed the American people. So join me for the Denise Simon Experience every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Stan Lefko, an Atlanta based attorney who practices law in a variety of areas uh, from uh, commercial litigation, construction litigation, child support and custody, uh, divorce, landlord-tenant, uh, uh, personal injury, which we haven't talked about, property damage, real estate uh, litigation, uh, slander, torts, uh, trusts, wills, and estates. And we've been talking, we were talking about divorce because it's certainly one of those areas that affects so many people. And in fact, uh, my guess is that it is the first and most prominent uh, experience that uh, some individuals have uh, working with an attorney. Is that, would that be your impression as well? That uh, someone may never have had reason to uh, uh, seek uh, legal counsel, but now there's a divorce um, that's looming or in progress, and that's the first experience with an attorney. Is that is that your case? Your your experience? Probably the two, probably the two areas, or the three areas where if anybody is going to have any contact with an attorney, probably will be <clears throat> buying a house. They may have to deal with a lawyer, or if they're involved in an auto accident, or a divorce situation, maybe. Otherwise, people may go through or drafting a will. Other than that, people may, a lot of people will probably never have to deal with a lawyer so their those, whole lives. Those would be the four primary areas yeah. um, buying a house, uh, getting a divorce, drafting a will, uh, and personal injury. 
Uh, and, and other than that, people may, or you know, uh, well, there are other times if you're starting a business or, but other than that, those are those are the those primary are areas primary, primary areas where you will go to to see an attorney. And you um, you assist in all those different areas. Those are areas of your practice, aren't they? I no, I actually I'm not a closing attorney. Oh, you don't do that. So I don't. I can review a contract if someone's buying a house or selling a house, but I don't actually do the closing. If there's a problem in buying or selling property, <laughs> not just houses, I can assist somebody, but I, I'm not set up to do an actual closing. I can refer them to a closing attorney, but I'm not in a position to draft closing documents. Let's turn to the area of, uh, of of auto accident law. That's another area that's very, in sure numbers, there are a lot of people who have experienced. Um, yes, uh, people should not text and drive. Yeah, for sure. Um, the um, and and also, uh, I guess, speed kills. Um, another uh, consideration. Going through stop signs does the same thing too. Yeah. Yes, um, uh, slow down. Uh, stop at the stop signs and don't text while you drive um, and um, with that in mind when people have been involved in an automobile accident and you know you 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 you, you hear um, lots of stories about the kind of spurious uh, litigation uh, related to injuries or or uh, claims false claims uh, fraudulent claims um, you know ambulance chasing attorneys um, it would seem to me that in many cases um, literally, figuratively uh, you have an injury and there's a a a disposition on the part of uh, the insurance company no matter what kinds of uh, public claims they make about uh, being there to help you uh, recover property and to heal and to you know, uh, cover your pain and suffering. That there, there's a there's a tendency uh, to to just when in doubt, or I, I shouldn't even put it in this context of when in doubt. Just um, they're not inclined to pay. Is that is that is that is that a, a broad generalization, but fairly accurate? That insurance companies are just really not inclined to pay, and that's why so many people engage attorneys. Not that they're trying to. Uh, get money that they don't deserve, but that insurance companies are can be skimpy, if you will. Well, insurance companies are not in the business of paying claims. They don't make money paying claims. They're in the business of collecting premiums. So that's not how they earn a living. That's not how they make money. So problem I have when someone comes to me with per, <coughs> with personal injury claim or property damage, they will generally take care of property claims, but in personal injury claim the, is they'll come to me and they've got a relatively small claim, you know, let's say 10000 or less in medical expenses, and they're not severely they weren't they don't have broken bones or internal organ damage or something and the insurance company makes a very low low offer is 
the insurance company knows that a lawyer cannot really handle that claim because it's uneconomical, and it's hard to help those people. And that's a problem because you can't really sue for a very small claim, even adding uh, a claim for the pain, what's known as pain and suffering, because there's only so much you can really add on to that. Because uh, let's say they, for 90 days or 100 days, they were incapacitated to some degree or, or not feeling well or out of work for a short period of time. And so their whole claim isn't really that much. You can make a written demand and try to get them their medical expenses or drugs or loss of wages for a limited period of time. And sometimes the insurance companies won't even offer enough money to cover all the medical expenses. And then they want to sue, but just tell them, well, there's just not – it's uneconomical. You're almost, in some cases – forced to accept what the insurance company is offering and it may be really insufficient or it gets them very little and so they're at the mercy of the insurance company unless they want to file their own claim that's why a lot of times you'll see advertisements by lawyers we handle catastrophic uh, claims the, the, the key being catastrophic because they lawyers cannot make a living if they're doing it on a contingency basis, which most personal injury claims are, handling small claims because of because of the amount of time it takes to handle a small claim. You could spend 10, 20, 30, 40 or more hours handling a small claim as much as a large claim, and a lot of clients don't really understand that. What about the uh, the situation where someone has a, uh, a neck injury stand and um, – it's it's this huge gray area in medicine, not to mention uh, in law, but where there's a fairly severe neck injury with the potential for this neck injury to um, um, create a, a a problem uh, years later. You know, for there to be residual effects from this this injury. Uh, how how well, that, do you ha- advise a client about whether or not they want to go down that path of, I guess you have to seek medical advice and have testimony from, from physicians? Uh, that's different. Okay, because that's, okay, that's, if you can, yeah, then you have to get doctors to get testimony or n- narratives or diagnosis or prognosis from doctors that will confirm that there may be more then you're talking a lot more money, that there will be more need for surgery or more medical treatment, and that's puts you in a different category. I'm talking about much smaller claims. If you can do that, and I've had that situation where I've gotten doctors to say there'll, there'll be a lot need for more treatment or more medical problems and issues, that's a different situation. But the bottom line is that if you think you might need the advice of an attorney related to an injury, you, that's where you want to start is um, because um, it's one of those situations where even you can help them 
uh, engage um, uh, the help of a physician to help you make a make a case and maybe arrive at a good settlement. Um, Stan, you know, we're going to have to have you on for uh, part three, uh, <laughs> you, uh, and uh, we've touched on a number of areas uh, from um, divorce uh, to, to, to accident law. Uh, we didn't get heavily into real estate uh, tenant uh, landlord, which we wanted to talk about, and, and also not a lot about the formation of your practice. But uh, we'll do that on another occasion. Um, and I want to thank you for taking the time to discuss the areas that we shed a little light on today. You're welcome. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Business Hour here on America's Web Radio. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. We've been here with Stan Lefko, an attorney that's locally based. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Have a great weekend and have a good Thanksgiving. Be thankful. Uh, we'll see you on the radio uh, next week. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Do your children know where their food comes from? 